0: Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko.
1: That's right. We have an average record, but we are not an average podcast.
0: Not at all. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff.
2: I'm fading like the Celtics in the fourth quarter. Let's go. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Today we- <laughs>
0: Today we're talking about the the last four games, Uh, the Celtics played Denver, two games against Atlanta, and then New Orleans, and then we're going to update our TPE list slightly, just seeing what has changed in who we're looking to get uh, with the the large TPE. But first, these last four games, it was a good game against Denver, we had one good game against Atlanta, and a loss against Atlanta, and that was a tough game against uh, New Orleans. Ah, uh, giving them their biggest comeback, I think, in in franchise history.
2: Correct. You are correct. That is an accurate statement you just made.
0: And it yeah, just but it's, uh, their franchise is like what three years old, right? It was a twenty-three was a point comeback. Twenty-three points is 24, enough. Twenty-four.
2: Twenty-four. Don't okay. shortchange that last little point. <laughs> that, that last little point.
0: Yeah. So this this team is is not doing well in the fourth quarter. I think that they're, they're like a negative six or something, just in the fourth quarter in general this year. Um, what, what have you guys seen and felt over the last week? And, and the context, of course, last week, we talked a lot about expectations. Is this, do we expect this to be a championship year for the Celtics or not? Uh, and I'm, and I'm very clearly, uh, on the side that not only do I not think this is a championship year for the Celtics, the front office does not either. Danny Ainge did not come into the season with that expectation. So if this is not, then what is it? Well, it's a growth year and we are seeing some growing pains, um, with with some shifts in the last week, but let me throw it to you guys first.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we talked last week, Josh introduced his sky is falling anxiety syndrome um, and and the prescription being big picture perspective, right? I have oscillated over the, the past week, you know, a little bit with the Celtics as they've oscillated game to game. In trying to figure out like how how concerned from a macro perspective like multi year time horizon, look we still have Jason Tatum who's 22 and Jalen Brown who's 24. One or both are almost definitely going to be all stars this season. Um, That's not a bad place to be, but there's a lot a lot a lot left to be desired with this current season, and I think there are some questions even looking into how well-positioned the Celtics are to build around those two uh, kind of keystone pieces. Um, and and certainly the kind of uh, games like yesterday's against New Orleans and, and seeing these recurrent bad habits around stagnant offense and, you know, lack of pushing the pace, um, you know, even just bringing the ball into the front court, the, you know stopping not not continuing to have the same aggression and and ball pressure on defense allowing kind of the other team to get comfortable in their offense um and you, you can just kind of see this is a team that doesn't really have a collective belief in one another when when things get tough um and we've seen over the Brad Stevens kind of tenure we've seen it cut both ways at this point we've seen some teams that just kind of hit above their head um, where the, the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, and we've seen some where there's been plenty of talent and for whatever reason, it just didn't come together. And this seems to be falling into that latter batch. The team fortunately seems to like each other. but And they I, I love the way that like Jalen Brown is coming out after games and he's just being blunt about the things that the Celtics should be doing that they're not doing. So... It's hardening for me, heartening for me, <clears throat> heartening for me uh, that they're not oblivious to their their flaws um, and and not pretending they aren't there. But it's gosh, is it frustrating to watch game to game?
1: Yeah, the growing pains are there for sure. I mean, I I think we keep asking for a quick fix, whether it's through trading this TPE immediately or you know and and even breaking that up into two parts and getting a couple players that we think can help right now we've talked about different veterans on this podcast like George Hill and Thaddeus Young and guys who would plug in but not really move the needle um obviously there's like ideal candidates like uh you know players who are never going to come like I want like DeMar DeRozan or or players like Harrison Barnes, who seem reasonable but may not be the most available. You know, and those are kind of like the dream situations. So, you're looking at this like I feel like I want to ask the fan base the following questions, right? Have you have you seen improvement from Aaron Niesmith? Have you seen player development from him? You know, hopefully the answer is yes. Just we've seen changes over the last two weeks, even. Um, have you seen development from Jalen Brown? in the past, last year, or last year to this year, right? The answer to that is obviously yes. We still have key pieces. You know, we've seen de- development as much as we hate them. Shemi Ojale has shown development. He's landing that jumper and, and feels like a consistent threat sometimes out there. And so these guys, you know, one of these young guys, Romeo, Pritchard, you know, w- we only need a couple of these guys to turn into like a Marcus Smart type of like a level, like a mid-level player, you know, a guy who could make 10 million a year, 12 million a year in the league. Like that's what we need next to Tatum and Brown, you know, and Kemba hopefully can become whatever he is or, or we move him for something else and sign another player to a large contract. But we have this development system. It's like a breeding ground for talent. And we've seen it year after year with Smart and then Brown and then, uh tatum and and now you know there's other guys who are ready to step up or or going to be ready to step up in the next three years for sure one of these guys two of these guys are going to be somebody and if we have a little bit of patience you know i i think that we can compete once we get to the playoffs i do think we can beat any team um and even this year uh, my expectations aren't there but i do think it's possible i think in the playoffs especially in the east there's a lot of teams who are who are kind of on the same tier, right now. Um,
2: I, so yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that, we, like, I think in a seven game series against Brooklyn and Philly today, we wouldn't really stand a chance. Like, the, we're not talking about
0: playing them today. We're talking about playing them in. in I know. Four I'm months. just. I'm just saying. Yeah. We're
2: yeah. I mean, I. I think time is probably on Brooklyn's side. Philly, who knows? <laughs> but. Um, so you said something, Josh, that that I think is, to me, the crux. And I was kind of asking about this. And not, not everyone on the Celtics blog Slack was super jazzed about the the suggestion. But um, but I think some are, you know, some are definitely of this mind. You you talked about hopefully Kemba's kind of gets back to where he needs to be, or or we move him. Um, and to me, the question is, you know, Adam, you're, you're characterizing this as clearly not a season where we're in contention, where we're trying to be in contention. I think the, the struggles and inconsistency Kemba's had are, are well-documented, well-known. You know, he had, um, a really strong game, one of the two games against Atlanta, um, that he came back with kind of a dud. Uh, yesterday against New Orleans or, or on Sunday against New Orleans. Um, and it's, you know, it's been at best kind of two steps forward, one step backward. And in some cases, it's been two steps backward, one step forward with Kemba this season. So to me, the question quickly becomes, you know, Kemba's big money uh, for at least one other season and possibly two, depending on whether he picks up his option Um if the Celtics aren't competing this season and the front office isn't trying to compete this season, does it become a should it become a priority for Danny Ainge and co to be trying to move Kemba for some some modest value, whatever that looks like right now?
0: I'm not saying that they are not trying to compete this year. I think they are. I I just don't see the signs from Danny Age's action and recent words that he believes in this current team as a championship team this year. My guess is he thinks that they can compete for a championship next year. And so Kemba is still important to that time frame. Um, I, it's, not, it's not the kind of situ- situation where we are building for the future long term. And a 30-year-old point guard is doesn't fit that timeline. Uh, And and Kemba has no value right now anyway, so trading him right now just makes no sense.
2: Do you guys think his value is going to improve in the next year and a half?
0: I hope so, yeah. I I actually do. Based on how he has recovered from this injury, it it doesn't look like he has significant physical limitations as a result of it. So yes, I I do expect him to uh, get his sort of like second burst back um, eventually for him to start hitting his shots. I mean, he's only played 15 games so far this season. And um, I do expect him to to return to form in a consistent way that would make other people more interested in buying. And I'm not opposed to trading Kemba in the future. I mean, I'm starting to hold the question of at what point does Kemba Walker block Peyton Pritchard in a way that feels important (laughs) for this team? Where It's way too early for that, but I just hate I hate having so many little guards. I want one one little guard is is almost too many. So like, the, that's and that's uh, uh, Mike see that philosophy in
2: the to team building.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm with you, Mike.
1: So look, there's as someone who's developed players in, at the college level, players develop. They make leaps like overnight, and anyone who's like raised children sees this too, like. They go through growth spurts, faces change. Like, it's development and growth is not like it's not uh, gradual. There's like steps. There's these big leaps, and it's the same with players. Like players will just figure it out, and it, something will click. And we saw that. I mean, even with Jalen Brown this off season, it happened like that type of a leap. It couldn't have happened any other way. It couldn't have happened gradually because we didn't have enough, enough time for him to. To, to get in the gym for, you know, what, 26 days or however long we had off between seasons here. So the, I think a similar thing is possible with Kemba because his play right now doesn't look like it's because of his knee. It looks more like it's because of his confidence. And that's like exactly the type of thing that will induce like a, a leap at some point, potentially. And so I think his, his value is, is not great right now. I don't see it going down. You know, I don't, uh, unless the knee acts up and he can't, can't play. But I see him playing through pain, you know, and, and them limiting him. And in, in the playoffs, you know, in this league, all it takes is a couple games in a row of, of finally knocking down that open three consistently and, and having a couple big games back to back. And all of a sudden, your value increases as a player who's a former All-Star, I think. Um, so I don't think now's the time to trade Kemba. You know, but I, I, just looking at the last game we played. You know it was, that, that was an epic game against the Pelicans. That was like an all-time type of game. Obviously we lost. everyone's upset about that, but I'm looking at it like, not only was that a really fun game to watch, um, but we, I mean, we saw different growth from different people. Look at Robert Williams in that game. I mean, I put a post on Twitter recently uh, asking fans if, if Robert Williams is better right now than uh, Mitchell with uh, Mitchell Robinson in New York. You know he's like the I feel like the quintessential young bouncy super long shot blocker dunker rim runner type guy in the NBA who's just oozing talent but hasn't put it together yet. And I'm like, man, our guy Robert Williams is right there. He he should be in that conversation. And actually, I would take him over uh, Mitchell Robinson right now. Yeah, you know, too. and and you know he's got worse stats. His points per game and rebounds are. are two less than Robinson but so are his minutes and it's just he's just coming into his own in a new way and you know we're gonna see in the next four months just like in the last two weeks we saw development from Neesmith we're gonna see development from some of these other guys in the next couple months where you know we may have a guy who you can rely on the playoffs a little bit yeah
0: so three things I, I feel like have happened in the last week one is that Brad Stevens has at least for now settled on some sort of a rotation where Aaron Neesmith is the first wing off the bench, Robert Williams is the is the first big off the bench, he's starting Thompson and Tice a lot, uh, or Ogillay and Tice, or or Thompson, depending on the big matchup, um, and then if Ogillay isn't starting, he's coming off the bench, Pritchard is off the bench, and Grant Williams is out, Carson Edwards is not getting any run, um, Javante Green is out, um, so rotation, at least for now, I think it'll, it, it always changes uh, with Brad Stevens throughout the season, but uh, it's nice to see that there's a nice nine-man rotation right now. Number two, Aaron Neesmith is, as I mentioned, a part of the rotation. He's getting 20-something minutes a game, um, and I'm loving what I'm seeing. I, the, the one thing I said I wanted last time that needed to change was Neesmith needed minutes. So you can't go back more than a week and a half uh, and find consistent minutes for Aaron Neesmith. This is new, and he's and he seems to be getting it because he of his defense. It's not that he's playing amazing defense, but he is hustling really hard. You cannot say that for everyone on this team, especially the veterans. Um, And we need his kind of energy. He he was thrown into the game at the end of the New Orleans game um, for a defensive possession, and he was a part of almost getting a steal. Uh, um, It was the second-to-last play of the game, I want to say. I will say for him in terms of his shooting, his rhythm appears off. I know that he's not used to playing a catch-and-shoot role. That's not the way he got most of his offense uh, in college. Um, he was doing a lot of um, off-ball picks um, and and dribbling into shots. He was getting to the line like four or five times a game, which is not happening now. So it's a completely different role for him, and and it's almost like he's just not used to what that rhythm looks like. And his jumper is a little interesting in that he he either <laughs> – he shifts uh, to different types. He either has a, a jump shot where he's, uh, lifting really high using his legs and, and then, and there's a different rhythm in, in getting the shot off with his upper body when he does that. And then sometimes he just kind of settles down and does like a, a short lift and, and throws it up. And, and, uh, he doesn't always seem catch ready, like in the way that if you watch Peyton Pritchard, he, he's always got his hands up, ready for the ball, ready to go into the shot. Um, and that, I think, is just also going to come with time. Um, so so Neesmith, the rotations, and now I'm forgetting the third thing that I was going to talk about, but it'll come back to me. What do you guys think of Neesmith, what you're seeing in him?
2: So over the last um, roughly 10 games, I, th- I think maybe Neesmith has played in eight of them, um, the Celtics have been... By far and away, uh, best when Nismith has been on the floor, um, as as really? kind of his doubter in chief at the beginning of the season. I, I've been certainly impressed by his energy, his ability to play within the team defensive scheme. He has a lot of room for improvement as a um, on the ball defender. He he has kind of late anticipation and kind of often gets a step behind. On a, on a dribble move uh, and, and gets kind of on the guy's hip. And uh, that leads to bad angles and fouls a lot. But that's very improvable um, and, and will probably come with just better scouting of the guys that he's matching up and, and better anticipation over time. Um, but everything you said, Adam, about kind of his anticipation, um, uh, or sorry, his hustle, uh, it was is spot on yeah and so the Celtics defensive rating in particular has been really really low with him on the court averaging around 16 or 17 minutes a game over that span. So that's been really, really promising. um it's you know we we had talked about kind of three keys for the Celtics last week. one was getting kind of clarifying roles and, and responsibilities um which which has been done as you noted, Adam, another was kind of, just resting guys and Brad Stevens came out. I think it was right before the Denver game um, saying that, you know, every instinct in, in his body wanted to make the Celtics practice between, uh, I'm forgetting which game. Oh, maybe it was a wizard's game preceded the game against the Nuggets. Um, He, he resisted the urge, gave everyone a day off. And then they came out and had one of their better games in a while against, against the Nuggets to beat kind of, just Jokic, who's, who's really awesome. <laughs> it's a joy to watch him, uh, especially because we were able to win. Um, and, and you know, the other thing we talked about is, is uh, using the TPE in an effective way. And, Adam, you talked about our nine-man rotation. You know, we haven't had Smart healthy uh, for a while. And it sounds like Woj uh, reported that he's likely not going to be back until after the All-Star break. The game is March 7th, so still a couple of weeks away. Romeo Lankford, in theory, is going to start playing basketball again uh, and be healthy um, for at least one game, maybe. Um, you know, what would you envision? We've got this nine-man rotation now. I'm wondering kind of who you guys might might see getting bumped out or how deep you think Brad will run when when those two guys come back.
0: I think Nismith gets bumped. Um, and, uh, um, but who knows? I mean, injuries will happen, especially when smart comes
2: back. Um, I think because Richard, the laws of this team are that the four best players can't be healthy at the same time. yeah, but I mean, i'm
0: I'm surprised that Thompson, Tice, and Robert Williams have all been healthy at the same time. I thought that that we our center rotation was fine because Tice is always injured. Williams is always injured. Uh, so, and the fact that <laughs> we're having trouble finding minutes for all of them that, that we're playing them together is is a surprise to me. Um, and Robert Williams was the third the third change in the last week. He seems to be playing even better than he has in the past. He seems even more locked in, which of course does not stop him from tossing the ball away or going up for blocks uh, on a floater and goaltending, etc. He
2: could get that though. That goaltend was really funny. On the other end, though, the uh, block he had, was it against Zion or was it Ingram? Yeah. That he, was uh, an actual Zion. block. Yeah.
0: He blocked it twice. It was so impressive that the refs didn't believe it was possible and called it. Called it a goaltend.
1: <laughs> so let me respond to, to both of you guys a little bit. Smith I mean, he's one of the few guys on the team right now who's looking to take a charge and looking to dive on the floor and is just sacrificing his body like crazy. And He's ending up in a, a crumpled heap on the floor a lot of the time, you know, and then bouncing right back up. And, you know, he, he doesn't have a killer instinct like Peyton Pritchard does, but he's definitely playing high intensity and, and he's not afraid of physicality. And, and that's like they, they, there's a little bit of a fire in his belly right now that you could see. Um, he's just really hungry for minutes, you know? And, and, it, and so he's in kind of a learning phase right now, right? Cause he's finally getting minutes. Tatum and Brown are also in, in like experience phases or learning phases right now, because we're not really playing with point guards out there, like actually playing like point guards. Our point guards are mostly playing off the ball right now. And they're giving the ball to Tatum and Brown to bring it up and to run that first pick and roll and to, and to make the first decisions. Um, so those guys are playing more of the James Harden type of point guard role where you give it to your best players and you tell them, even though you're wings, you're gonna run all the pick and rolls and you're gonna make all the decisions, and we're really leaning on you to get the ball moving and to get the ball right. So and that's why sometimes we don't see the ball movement. But this wasn't happening last year. Last year we had point guards who played like point guards. This year we have wings who play like point guards, and and it's again, it's this is the first year of big time minutes for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to be lead facilitators and lead ball handlers. And in this phase right now, we're going to see it pay off in 3 months and 2 months and 4 months. Like we're going to see the experience now pay off later. We're not seeing it pay off right now and in the win yeah. column.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I'm hopeful that we'll see it in 3 or 4 months. We'll definitely see it pay off in a season or two seasons. Um We'll see. we'll see how quickly they, they grow at the rate. You know, we were talking about this in the playoffs last year, too. Um, but I just want to take, take that as a moment just to, you know, for, for years, the Celtics have had max players that have been underappreciated in Al Horford and Gordon Hayward. And I just want to highlight that for everybody complaining about the lack of ball movement on this team, please take a moment to recognize what Hayward and Horford brought to this team because they always quickly moved the ball just where it was supposed to be. It didn't look spectacular because the offense just looked like it was doing what it was supposed to do. What you see on the Celtics right now is what happens when you don't have players that do that. It is far from a given that a team will execute that way with that consistency and have players that kind of subvert their uh ego and they just have the maturity to read the game that cleanly um that's why those guys got the max we are missing having that those types of players right now it's probably there's probably some silver lining benefit like you just characterized josh as far as opportunity for growth for our our young players but these are this is the pain that comes with that so i just want to shout out our our underappreciated former max guys (laughs)
1: Yeah, let's have a moment of silence right now for Celtics Hayward, Celtics Horford, and Celtics ball movement.
0: <laughs> you guys are too much. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.
1: Obituary is coming soon on Celtics blog.
0: It'll come back. It'll come back. Uh, Tatum is learning that he's not going to win games when the other team knows that they, if they just key on, on him and – Uh, And Brown that um, you can totally stifle this offense So he's either going to learn or he's not going to learn and um, I think he's smart enough and young enough that he will There was did you guys see there was I can't remember who who this came from but there was a A player on another team who said that the scouting report now is just stop Tatum and Brown You know that they're not going to pass the ball enough. Basically, they're just (laughs) taking turns looking for their own offense
1: yeah, young Tatum and young Brown do that, but you know, at some point they won't be young them anymore, and the scouting report will change. But yeah, that's a good that's a good scouting report right now. If you stop one or one of those guys, you've got a good shot at winning the game. You know.
2: So, is this one of the things that I continue to find hard to? to disentangle with this team and, and the, the problems that they have with lack of ball movement. I mean, obviously, a part of it is just the the age, maturity, and decision-making of Tatum and Brown. But there's a general question on the, the talent around them. And then there's specific questions that I have about kind of the lineups that they're in, especially when they have those two big lineups where, sure, Tice is shooting well from three but there's still limitations in how much spacing you really get. Like uh, teams, there's Tice doesn't have a ton of gravity to the three point line. He's not really pulling defenders. So if you, if you're looking at those and then the fourth, I guess is just generally kind of the offensive system they run. So Josh wearing your coaching hat of the four of kind of Tatum Brown maturity, the general talent level on the team, the specific lineups that they're playing with or the offensive system how would you allocate kind of the the responsible elements to the lack of ball movement
1: which one contributes to lack of ball movement more yeah i think it's about maturity i think you know the, these guys are going to be good ball movers when they're in their prime but they're years away from their prime right now you know they're 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 so young that they're still, I mean, Brown had, Brown had a uh, quote recently that was that we all need to grow up, you know, and mature. I think that, that you know, basketball IQ comes with experience. And, if, you know, our main flaw, in my opinion, is beating the zone. You know, we finally figured out that we could do a high-low action with Tice and Thompson to beat the zone where we put one of them at the high post instead of, like, an actual decision-maker like a Marcus Smart or a Tatum. You know, and that's worked great for a couple games, right? But that's our big flaw. People throw zones at us if, you know, to shake things up, and it usually works. Um, and that's, I mean, it's not like we don't have NBA players out there. It's just we don't have guys who can think the game at a high level. Um, they're super talented. They're super skilled. And, but they don't always play together, and they don't always just you know, know how, to, how to break a zone <laughs> or how to get the ball moving in the right place. Or how to get it swung twice around instead of just once. You know, we got to be able to get skips and swings multiple times to move the defense to get open shots. You know, if you watch the Utah Jazz, the Phoenix Suns this year, that's what they're doing. So um, I I think it's mostly about maturity of the players, you know, and and that goes to both, like, our stars and our reserves and and guys who are ready, thinking they're ready to step up but need to prove it. I mean, the coaches, I think the coach, it's not on the coaches. The coaches are drawing things up. The coaches are, are getting guys opportunities. But this is, a, you know, you can tell just by the way they play that this is a team and a coaching staff that coaches uh, basketball concepts. So they're giving guys the decision, and they're saying, here's your decision. They're not saying, do it exactly like this. It goes, the ball goes here, and then it goes there every time. They're saying, this is your decision. It's based on the D, and, if, and you have to read it. You know, and, and that's what develops players, that's what develops growth, but it also is what causes mistakes because players will make decisions based on those reads when they're immature.
0: Are either of you concerned about um, Tatum's comments that he's still feeling the effects of COVID-19 a month after he got the positive test, saying he, gets, he just gets winded easily in some games, other games he's fine?
1: No, I'm watching him play, and he, he doesn't look like he's a different Jason Tatum out there. He doesn't look like he's huffing and puffing, you know. Maybe his effort is a slightly less than maximum, right? But he's always kind of been more of a smooth, relaxed type of player like that. I mean, it against New Orleans,
0: all his fade- fadeaways hit the front rim. It seemed like, which is typically yep. a legs thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard to say, like, players having a bad performance, how much of that is attributable to just the schedule being brutal versus something like in Tatum's case, some of the challenges he's talked about coming back from COVID. Um, I think, you know, it from what I understand, while there are some... Um, in a case like Tatum's, when there is some lingering uh, respiratory issue that's mild like that, it doesn't, It, as far as people understand, it doesn't have indications for com- something more serious, which w- would be a primary concern. Um, and the team, by all accounts, is monitoring it very, very, very closely. So from that perspective, I'm not overly concerned. And, and from, you know, I think at this point in the season, I've just accepted that it's going to be. It's not going to be a very gratifying s- season to watch as a fan, <laughs> so I don't put a lot. I don't uh, in my calculus of uh, on on that front, COVID's recovery or Tatum's recovery from COVID and and kind of these lingering symptoms doesn't rank very high on what's uh, adding to that dissatisfaction.
1: Yeah, I want to bring something up to you guys. This is. This is a new segment here that I want to do. It's called "Started from the Comments." Now we're here, where we take somebody who made a comment that one of us took note of on Celtics blog, uh, and and we highlight it here in the podcast. And I feel like it's a it's a good time to mention what my guy Bird for Three said. You know, Bill Sy posted a uh, an article innocuously February eighteenth on a Thursday. You know, four o'clock. Danny Ainge piece, preaches patience with struggling Celtics. You know, I had a couple quotes in there and it became kind of like a breeding ground for conversation in the comments. Um, and, and so I went in there and, you know, you, he, this guy, he, he kind of took the words right out of my mouth. He says, my God, it's so early and teams become teams over a longer period than just 28 games. I'm anxious to see Romeo play. I'm anxious to see all the guys healthy together, and I do think this team is very capable of being quite good. Also, this is a brutal stretch in the schedule. That's not me making excuses; that's just truth. Bird for three. I I gotta highlight that man. Started from the comments. Now you're here. This is this is exactly what I'm trying to preach too. And it's different when it's coming from the GM, and he's preaching patience. You know, I'm not always the super positive guy. When I look at a team, I'm looking at all the aspects, and I've been a coach. And to me, this Celtics team is a team with that I think a lot, a lot of GMs would wish they had, this kind of roster. Um, and, and we're starting to see some growth. And sometimes it happens in year one, but sometimes it happens in year three, as we're seeing from Shemi Ojale. Um, so, yeah, good call, Bird, for three.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I appreciate the sentiment. I mean, some some of the things that bird for three is saying just aren't true when it comes like it it depends what your time horizon is and the other part is that this season is just anomalous but the reality is that um within 28 games or 30 games of a season you know whether historically you know you have a good indication of whether or not a team is uh championship calendar cal caliber um and there are all sorts of, you know, uh, studies that that kind of bear out that you can kind of get a, re- a pretty decent early read on that, and that early season success actually does um, correlate pretty pretty well to to kind of playoff success at, at at a certain level. So I think the the real, you know, thing that that Bird for Three has in his favor here is that. This season is just an anomaly completely. Um, anything that, you know, any any of those studies that are looking at kind of normal NBA seasons just don't apply. So that's fine. you know, we've talked about expectations already for this year and kind of, like, it just, if Celtics fans are rooting, are, are watching the team this year with the hopes for a championship, which isn't unreasonable given that we went to three of the last four Eastern Conference Finals, I think this team will be a disappointment. And I think fans are responding that way, and I think that makes sense. Um, if you want to look at this team as kind of a starting over and a, and saying that we've just gone into kind of a rebuild mode and maybe we'll get to the first or second round of the playoffs and this team is poised to grow, I, th- I think that's fine. That's probably true over the next couple of years, but... Um, I think that's not surprising that fans would feel disappointed with that course being taken.
0: So given everything that we've just talked about, how would you both update your TPE list? And I don't want to get too bogged down in all sorts of names and, and minutia with it, but just high level, what would you shift from what you've seen in the last week?
2: So for me, I mean, we did this exercise two weeks ago. Since then, uh, some teams have kind of separated themselves from the pack uh, for the worse. Um, Notably, in my mind, uh, Houston has fallen to 11 and 17 um, at at the time we're recording. They're slated to play um, Chicago on, on Monday evening after we finish our recording. Cleveland has lost 10 in a row. (laughs) <laughs> um, so they are now, I, I believe it's like 11 and 21. 10 and 21, sorry. So, And your um,
1: TPE target there.
2: Yeah, so my TPE target number one today probably becomes Larry Nance Jr., uh, who has been injured, which might even make him a little bit easier to acquire. Um, I think he...
1: But not less desirable for Mike Minkoff?
2: Not less desirable for Mike Minkoff because he's still a super solid, steady player. This injury is not one that's likely to linger you know, over the course of the season. All we need is a guy that's going to be in the right place on defense consistently, that can guard threes and fours, um, and that will make the right decision on offense. Larry Nance Jr. does both of those things. <laughs> like, we, the bar is really low for our wing rotation. Uh, so Larry Nance, for me, uh, is pro- probably moves to the top of my list based on likelihood, of, like attainability, as well as fit. Um, you know, Sacramento is slipping. So Harrison Barnes, they're 12 and 18 now. They've lost seven in a row. Uh, so Harrison Barnes remains extremely attractive as an option. I just think it's less likely that Sacramento given up on their dream of being in the play-in, uh, than it is of like Cleveland who who I think is probably okay writing the season off. And then Houston, um, I was trying to think, I, I actually kind of want to toss this to you guys. I was trying to think of hypothetically, if we, if Ainge decided, this is a time to, to look into moving Kemba, there's not a lot of teams that I think would have interest in Kemba and Houston is not one of the teams that I think might a team that I think might, however, is Orlando. Um, because they, they have faults. They just drafted, uh, Cole Anthony. Um, but I could see them being interested in a year or two of Kemba Walker next to those guys or as part of their point guard rotation. Um, Orlando has a bunch of interesting players that I could see as being interesting to a team like Houston Rockets, including one Aaron Gordon. So does does a three-way, a three-team trade where, you know, the exact piece is TBD, but built around Kemba going to Orlando, the Rockets getting Aaron Gordon, and the Celtics getting Victor Oladipo. What would you guys think of that?
0: I mean, if you're talking three ways like that, if if Orlando is interested in Kemba Walker, that opens up a number of things. One, it opens up a Vucevic plus returning to Boston, maybe Evan Fournier. Um, throw I think I think
2: you are underrating Vucevic, and and how Orlando is going to value him. If you think Kemba would net Vucevic plus anything,
0: I'm saying it it opens up options. Um, but what where I'm going with this is I. The only way that we get Bradley Beal is if we trade Kemba Walker. Uh, so I'm curious about whether who on Orlando's roster Washington would be interested in to make something work there.
1: And Vucevic might work for that. Or Gordon.
2: Washington West. is um, only a few games out of first in their division. <laughs> so... Yeah,
0: this is the problem. They with, are three the games seasons. behind
2: Charlotte for first place in the Southeast. So, this yeah, let's take it. Let's take a, let's take a moment also, to
1: to pay respects to Mike coming up with a three team trade here that is not <laughs> like too terrible. All right, let's just like sit with this for a second. This ain't too bad. I would take Victor Oladipo right now. Would
0: you, Adam? For Kemba Walker, uh, one yeah. year of Oladipo, it's
2: we get we get it. a trial and. Worst-case scenario is we're off Kemba's money.
0: Yeah, do it. Sign me up. You would do it?
2: Yeah, sure. Why not?
1: Wow. And, Mike, you would do it, obviously.
2: I, th- I, would, I, I would do it because I think Oladipo gives us a guy who's proven that he can be a, a good ball handler in high leverage moments. And he's an elite defensive player.
1: And he's got more size.
2: He's, that's right. So, so the, like,
1: But what he doesn't have is, is this locker room presence, this thing that Doris Burke spent 25 minutes talking about in the last yeah, broadcast. Yeah, well, with. how did that Canva locker room smile. presence
2: do for us from six minutes remaining in the third quarter to the end of that epic collapse?
1: Exactly. This is something I wanted to bring up with you guys because it's like I love it so much, and it's so brutal because it doesn't translate to the court.
0: Yeah, the one thing that that people that front office ex- executives overvalue when they're considering doing their whole process for evaluating draft picks the one thing they say that they consistently overvalue is character
1: yeah except you know there's a reason we don't have Marcus Morris on this team you know and, and he's a, an ex- example it's of that a that he guy. wanted too much money no, it's also his character or lack of character and, and the fact that that actually does translate for him on the court. You know, he is a better player than his twin brother because he's got a little bit more uh, lack of character, for, for lack of a better word. But, I mean, he's, he's just got a dog and type of selfish intensity that wasn't a good fit for our locker room, but it does translate on the court. It does.
0: Josh, does know? that remind he, you of anybody?
1: Like players I've recruited and coached, you mean?
0: No, like you I know, you was a, a, to you, a twin, a twin oh. who's got a little, who's better on the court because he's got this, this dogged mentality. No,
1: I don't think either you, either of us is Marcus <laughs> Morris right now. <laughs> or or uh, Kemba I played, Walker. I played basketball be with
2: Adam. Adam, you are not Marcus Morris. <laughs> or Kemba Walker. Sorry,
1: bro. <laughs> but what I do would, you guys think of this thing? This intangible piece of this kemba Walker thing i mean that is no, that is think, why he's still on the team
2: i mean i don't think that's the only reason i think i think what you were saying earlier is true i, I think his values at a at an all-time low it's hard to move a guy like this especially on the money he makes um it was obviously i think a piece of why he was brought in as like an antidote to everything that happened two seasons ago with Kyrie and morris etc um I think but I think you're right. I think it speaks to the the really kind of challenging alchemy that goes into team building, right? You need to have a combination of guys that are kind of bleeps <laughs> and guys that are are really kind of just focused on nurturing and um building cohesion across the team. And and you like you can't have all of one, you definitely can't have all of the other. Uh you probably want to have I don't know, 90-10, 80-20 in kind of high character guys at work and know their roles. But you do want that like 10 to 20% that are a little bit just kind of more egocentric, but just believe they're better than everyone. And because you need that on the court and you need that, especially in the biggest moments of the biggest games. You need the guy that just thinks I should, you know, stomp on everyone's throat and win right now. Um, because, there, there's a certain point in those competitive matchups where someone has to have that mindset and whoever does is, go, is going to better, better position their team to win.
1: And so do, do you guys think there's anyone else on the team who has that besides you know, our guy Marcus Smart?
2: I think Jalen does.
0: Yeah, I do too.
2: He's just I don't think quiet Tatum about does. it. I don't think Tatum does.
0: What
1: about Tristan Thompson?
2: Yep. You I don't think, think he he's does?
0: capable of executing with his talent level at this point, but I think he does for sure.
2: Would you like a funny stat about Tristan Thompson? I was, I was, yeah. uh, he is our second best ISO score. <laughs> <laughs> Please, <laughs> he, no. he, he averages, he's in the 80th or 79th percent percentile, uh, oh, 1.1 points per possession. I was okay. shocked. Cause it seems cause I think every Celtics fan has the same reaction when you see Black hole, Tristan, uh, get the ball and just start his yeah. fifteen-second uh, back down or whatever ram, you know, rumble towards the hoop. Uh, number one, incidentally, or is uh, Peyton Pritchard, but um, as ISO scorer and uh, yeah,
1: that guy short arms more three-foot hook shots than anyone I've ever seen. Should like I just front, Venmo front you guys now for that? <laughs> For oh, that, when you said that, bet, when I said Tristan was gonna, Thompson
2: was going to shoot fifty threes on the season, I, uh, I, I don't think we need one. to wait for the next forty games to play out.
1: <laughs> I'm fine with that. Um, so Tristan Thompson is one of the guys who who will like throw his hands up after a missed defensive assignment that ends in a dunk, like right next to him, and he and he looks over like, what the f? What happened? Right? And and sometimes sometimes he's like looking at certain guys, you know, and 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 maybe. Uh, feels that he's more of a leader than he's earned on this team? Do you guys have any comments to that?
0: I mean, it sounds like you do, Josh. The
2: the only comment I'd have and I would like to hear what you you have to say on that, Josh, but I know I feel like some of the t- one or two of the times I've seen Tristan do that, I was pretty sure it was his fault. <laughs> um so I don't know. I don't you know, it's hard to say. you you, you don't know all the schemes as a as a, a fan watching on, on your couch, but um, there I I don't remember if it was a New Orleans game or the the second Hawks game, but I, I I vividly remember one where I I was pretty sure Tristan stayed glued to his guy too long and didn't kind of get over to help, but I don't know what 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 do you think, Josh? Do you think he's overstepping I as mean, a new guy?
1: I think that we, he's both overstepping as a new guy and and like we need more people who like really care and are willing. To hold their teammates accountable verbally and vi- and visually during the games, um, I think that when when players are calling each other out and able to receive the coaching from their teammates, it's it often you know breeds more success and breeds more communication and more acceptance. Um, but it's definitely like a rocky road in the beginning here for for the new veteran to come in and start acting like a veteran when you've got young guys who've been here for three you know three four years. Um, it's and 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 sometimes there's like I don't necessarily think that that Tristan Thompson is one of those guys who's got that dog in him. I don't I don't know every Canadian I've ever met has been like slightly nicer than their American doppelganger, right like he's got he maybe the Canadian dog in him
0: <laughs> what about wait 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 don't be what a about, Canadianist. what about Murray from denver um
1: what in terms of does he have a that, that dog in him?
0: I'm saying he does have that dog, and he's Canadian.
1: Yeah. You know, he'll... he'll I mean, people. one thing that people think about him is that he kind of comes and goes, and he doesn't always show up the same way he did in the playoffs last year. But I agree. I've always been a, a supporter of Murray. Wiggins. No, we don't need to go into it.
0: Yeah, let's not get into it. Look, I, I've updated my TPE list. I think we should not... Use the full the large TPE this year until the off season. Hey, you're uh, with me, and and uh, we need to give all of our wing minutes to Aaron E Smith and Romeo Langford. Let's develop the young guys and see what we have at the end of this year. Now, if you wanted to bring a guy in like Garrett Temple with the one of our smaller TPEs, which maybe we should consider using before we lose them, because we cannot bring those into the off season, that could be a, a decent move. I, I've always liked Garrett Temple. Both How much does he make? He makes uh four point seven six seven million one year this year, um, and so the, with the Ennis Cantor TPE, that should be that should fit. Uh, and he's on Chicago. Okay, Who he play for? Who he play for? I always but, liked you know, him too. Yeah, and, and he's I mean he's he's a, a good locker room guy. He's he's one of the I want to say he's a VP for the Players Association. Really smart guy, and and I, he's a wing. Uh, he can defend a little bit. Shoot three. Um. And I think he's the kind of guy that should be accepting of a a limited role to give younger players more minutes. But I mean, at this point, it's like we're scraping the bottom barrel here of of what we're talking about. Um,
1: Speaking uh, of scraping the bottom of the barrel.
0: Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Josh.
1: If you guys had to choose one, gun to your head, you had to choose one. Oh, God. Jay Crowder, Al Horford, or Terry Rozier.
2: Well, first of all, that's not the bottom of the barrel. That is very (laughs) mid-barrel content. Going backwards Um, (laughs) and and, and
1: re-signing a former Celtic is always bottom of the barrel, Mike. I apologize, but that is true.
2: I
0: think a lot of people would rather have Terry Rozier on this team than Kemba Walker. So that seems like an easy choice, especially when you consider contracts.
2: So I was looking at Terry's number because people have been talking about that the jump he has made in his, like his efficiency in just everything this season seems pretty unsustainable to me. Like,
1: I, But he did it last year, too.
2: No, 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 no. What's no, different? Um, I, I, I don't have the numbers up in front of me. I'll pull them up. But it he made, he's made a huge leap. Um, let me... I got it right here.
1: Because he had a good year last year, maybe not efficiency-wise. But if he took a leap last year, which he did, and now you're saying he's taken another leap efficiency-wise, which may not be sustainable. But doesn't that put him back into the good player he was last year?
2: No. So from a, from an efficiency perspective, his his points per for, for 40 minutes last year, which were a, a leap, he was, he was at 21 points per 40 last year. This year, he's at 25.2. The rebounds are about the same, right around five each year. The assists per 40, uh, he's actually taken a dip this season. His true shooting percentage. So last year, it was his career high before the season at 55%. The year before was at 50%. That was with Boston. The year before that, 52%. This year, he's at 63.6% true shooting, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Um, His uh turnovers are down a little bit from last season they're higher than they were in boston but his usage is higher than it was in boston it's down a little bit from last season with charlotte um and his his per you know offensive efficiency stat doesn't doesn't really account for anything on defense except maybe rebounding is at 19 it's it's by far the highest it's ever been his his previous high was 15.12 which he had in the 2017-18 season so, to me, it's really that, that 64% true shooting, which um, I didn't dive further into the numbers. But no, but I, your microphone yeah, did. <laughs> I just, yeah, my, my microphone just flew. Talk about a mic drop. A <laughs> mic drop. I didn't dive deeper into the numbers, but um, I'm pretty sure his true shooting is being kind of... Uh, elevated significantly by just i think he's like shooting 46 percent from three so far this season so anyway uh that that's a little bit of a tangent um but i'm i'm still not sold on the terry rosier show oh Uh, really oh i thought
1: you'd be ready for an apology to all of our og true celtics pride listeners no going way back from our blueberry website when where Celtics Pride podcast first started, I thought you might have this an apology. This is going back today. to our
2: text threads before the podcast. Uh, I still still, I still no don't love. think Terry Rozier is the right third piece to go with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum.
1: Well, Mike uh, Gordon Hayward says to you that he would rather play with Terry Rozier.
2: <laughs> yeah, and make thirty million dollars a year. You forgot that little piece. Oh yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> and be the alpha.
1: Adam, would you rather have Terry Rozier on this team? I would not.
0: Then, then who? Then Kemba?
1: You know, like this conversation that's going on in Celtics Twitter Nation.
0: I don't. I'm not on Twitter, so I don't really you know, know what you are talking about. Celtics
1: ignorant fan nation. What are they saying? Just that, like, like I've seen posts about. Look at, and you know, what if we had these guys all on one team? And it's like Hayward, Horford, Brown, Tatum, Rozier, Marcus Morris, and Smart. You know, like the team we could have, kind of a. There's a lot of that discussion right yeah. now with the Celtics
0: record at 500, right? Danny Ainge has done the right thing in, in going with the youth. He just needs the right pieces around them that he doesn't have yet. I agree. All right, any additions to this TPE update question?
2: No, but I did, I did want to just point, make, make clear that if we went after Oladipo, um, it would not be using the TPE. It would be in that type of trade that I was... Yeah. Characterizing so it would be to get a big fish without using the TPE. I would, I, was, I would only use a TPE on a guy, I think Nance makes maybe 13 million, so I would only use no more than half the TPE.
0: Mike, I will say about that trade the, if we're trading Kemba for Oladipo effectively, that um, it creates financial flexibility for this team, which you know Danny Ainge that's, always that's loves. What I was so it, it, allows, it allows them to sign smart um, and uh, negotiate with Oladipo. That is interesting. And, I'm gonna think more. And about to
1: be that. clear. You know, Oladipo is number two on my TPE list. If we use the entire TPE on Oladipo, and now now we have an issue financially, right, we're not going to be able to re-sign Oladipo. Um, but if we use Kemba Walker, now we have room to re-sign Oladipo if we want, or someone else.
2: Yeah, so I'm, pu- I'm putting this out there because...
1: You know who I would sign, guys, at John the end Collins. of this year? Adam, who would I sign at the end of this year? After his player option is done. I don't know. DeMar DeRozan. Oh, of course,
0: of course.
2: We so know. if
1: that is the way to get DeMar DeRozan <sighs> to trade Kemba for the be... depot and let him walk, I am all for it. You can't sign. I have nothing. We're, we're, we're
2: not going to have space for, to sign someone for twenty million dollars. We won't have room, even with Kemba off the books. I don't think we'll have room.
0: Josh, at some point you have to get a cap knowledge, like a basic,
2: is, a basic understanding of the cap. <laughs> that is higher than half of our listeners.
1: I have nothing more to say about the TPE conversation. You may proceed.
0: All right, uh, I think this is probably the last thing for today. But uh, this Friday, February twenty-sixth, is a special day for one of the Celtics players. Do you guys know uh, who is affected the greatest on the Celtics by Friday.
2: I I have no idea. I'm going to say no. Grant Williams for. I'm no going to say
1: Shemi Ojale. I'm
2: going with Taco Javante Fahl. Green.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Javante Green has a a deadline of Friday for the Celtics to pick up uh, this the rest of this season. Do you think they they keep him for the rest oh, of this year? God. No. That's
1: a big deal. For Javante Green, that's a big deal for us. Maybe not so much. I think they keep him for the rest of the season. Mike, you say no?
2: Um, I mean. I bet Ainge and Co are working really hard this week to explore roster moves. I I think you get more flexibility if you don't have a full roster. Um, he, the, isn't the question he a the question contract? the question is whether no he's not a two way contract. The question is whether or not he would make it easier or harder to make a, a move before the trade deadline by having him on the roster.
0: I lied, it's actually Saturday, it's the 27th, but same thing, same difference. Um, and because oh, the 26th I mean,
2: I... was definitely most important for Grant Williams. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, I expected the Celtics to deal him and to give some cap relief to another team that would then cut him, so this is this is interesting, oh, that, interesting. that nothing's happened yet, and it doesn't sound like anything is going to happen this week, so I, I would expect that they pick up the option and keep him the rest of the year, just because this year is so crazy... You expect more injuries, more COVID, et cetera. He knows the system; he's playable.
1: Yeah, he's played great for for you know what the expectations were because he was on a two way contract. So maybe what last year did that change? We have no knowledge. Um, last, he started on a two way contract. I think he changed to a guaranteed contract, and then you know you're still not expecting that guy to really produce on the court. But I th- think defensively his aggressiveness, which used to cause too many fouls is now exactly what we need. You know, we're preaching ball pressure and he's like, he's, he's a perfect guy to come in off the bench for that. And if he can get a breakaway dunk and, or, or really attack the rim, I mean, even his three point shooting, he's shooting 33%, which is a surprise to me, you know, like that's, he's, he's hitting jumpers when I'm, it's that no, no, yes shot every time he's in the corner. Um, so I'm, I'm high on Javante Green on keeping him. It's next to nothing. So let's do it.
0: All right. That's it for us. Please follow us on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe at Celtics Pride Pod. Thanks for listening.